So good morning. Good morning. So, hey, I'm thrilled to be back with you all this Sunday. As some of you may or may not know, I just returned back from Rwanda yesterday with Anna Carlson. And so um, if I fall asleep up here, just cover me up and, and leave me. I'm fine. Um, I'll be ready for work tomorrow, so that'll be great. So, but God is faithful, amen? I'm thrilled to be here with you this morning as we continue on in our We Are series with our fifth distinctive, which is trust radically. This morning, we're going to think through what it looks like to trust God in radical ways. And here's the kicker is I've been thinking about this topic of trust and reflecting back upon the previous distinctives. I've realized that we can't actually rightly do any of the things that we've previously talked about, which were loving extravagantly, hoping relentlessly, relating authentically, and engaging inclusively without first placing our trust in God. I don't know what your experiences have been with trust, but I struggle with trust. I got to keep it real. I have trust issues. Trust issues when it comes to God, trust issues when it comes to people. Trust doesn't come easy for me. And God has at times asked me to do some things that have made me want to run for the hills. And that's a big deal because I don't run. I'm not athletic. I don't like it. And so anytime I think about running, it's a miracle. (laughs) I've had the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Cedar Mill for a little over four months now. And if someone would have told me five months ago that I was going to be a pastor here or anywhere, I would have looked at them like they were absolutely out of their mind. And I actually would have ran in the opposite direction screaming because I had no desire to be a pastor. But here we are. It's clear that God had other plans, as he often does. When he led me to step away from my previous job and into the unknown, I remember being in a park near my house, journaling and sobbing. You know that kind of ugly crying that you do when snot is running down your face? And you're frowning and you can't catch your breath. I'm sure that the people around me thought I was losing my mind. But honestly, I was scared. I found myself asking the Lord a bunch of questions that day, and I'm sure that you have asked some of these very same questions. How am I going to make it, Lord? How am I going to pay rent, Lord? What if I don't find a job, God? What will people think of me if I do this crazy thing? Are you really asking me to do this, to leave my job without having another plan on the horizon? Then God really blew me away with the next request. He says to me, don't look for a job, Ashley. I just want you to hang out with me for 40 days and do nothing but be with me. And of course, to that you say, what, Lord? Long story short, I said yes. And then I ended up here at Cedar Mill 40 days later. During those 40 days, waiting and praying, the Lord reminded me over and over and over again of Proverbs 3, 5, and you all know that scripture well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. 
In our American cultural context, we often want and even at times expect for trust to come easy. We want the things that Jesus asks us to do to be logical, to make sense. And then when things don't make sense, and a lot of the times they don't make sense, we struggle to do the very thing that God tells us not to do in Proverbs 3, 5, which is not to lean on our own understanding. We struggle with this because it requires more of us than we're willing to give. It requires us to relinquish control, becoming comfortable in the uncomfortable, ultimately finding our comfort in Jesus Christ. I could be wrong but, about this, but as far as I've seen in Scripture, I can't find where God doesn't require us to have radical trust in him at all times. Do you know why that is? You don't have to answer that. I'll tell you. It's so that our faith can grow and mature. Because after all, how do we mature as followers of Jesus without trusting him fully? This kind of trust that we're talking about today is countercultural, meaning it will cause you to do things that go against social norms and traditions. Radical trust is both risky and costly. However, it's the kind of trust that the gospel is founded upon. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for our salvation is synonymous with radical trust. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great theologian, pastor, and activist in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, says that when Christ calls us, he bids us come and die. Jesus himself says... That whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. So no, trusting radically isn't easy. It's not comfortable or safe, but it's a necessity for a follower of Christ. The text that we're going to focus on is from Mark chapter 5. And one of the things that makes the Gospel of Mark stand out is something called intercalation, which is just a fancy word to describe how Mark takes on one event and sandwiches it between another event. So, for example, it's kind of like an aunt or an uncle at a party. We all have these family members who start a story, and then they stop with that story and they begin another story and leave you wondering, well, what happened with the first story? Eventually, they'll come back to finish off both the stories that kind of culminate into the same point, but it might take a little bit to get there, right? So in Mark 5, we encounter two people. One story is about a man seeking help for his daughter and the other about a woman seeking healing from an illness she had for over a decade. Both stories, however, give us great illustrations of what trust looks like in real time. So turn with me in your Bible to Mark 5. And we're going to be reading 21 through 36. And if you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. 
Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, she realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the, in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering." While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. So we're going to stop right there, but as you know, the story continues. And Jairus' daughter actually does receive healing. She is raised from the dead. And it's said that the witnesses that saw that were astonished, as we all would have been. So after reading, it's clear that we can't have a talk about trust without discussing the F word. Not that F word. But faith. Faith. Come on, this is church. Now, the word trust isn't explicitly used in our text, but the words faith and believe are. And both these words imply trust. Trust and faith are a dynamic duo, kind of like Batman and Robin, or peanut butter and jelly, or peanut butter and chocolate, or peanut butter and crackers, peanut butter and anything, really. I like, I like peanut butter, so I just wanted to talk about peanut butter today. They're a dynamic duo, right? They go together. Without this deep faith that God is who he says he is, how can we trust him? It's impossible. Hebrews 11:6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. As we look back at the scripture, we see faith and trust in action through the lives of Jairus and the hemorrhaging woman. Many of us, when asked the question, do you want to grow in your faith, wouldn't hesitate to say yes. However, unlike Jairus and the hemorrhaging woman, we don't want to do what it takes to get that type of faith. I don't think we've truly realized that trusting God and building faith go hand in hand, and our faith will never grow unless we're able to start trusting him more fully with every single area 
in our lives. As we read through the text, it becomes clear that these two individuals have immeasurable faith. Because they are trusting and believing Jesus to do what no one else could possibly do for them. That's what made their trust radical. For Jairus, who was a synagogue leader, he risked ridicule and even the loss of position and prestige just to approach Jesus with unwavering trust for his daughter's healing. For the hemorrhaging woman, she was already an outcast due to a medical condition that she couldn't control, that rendered her unclean. But she took upon herself the possibility of public shame and further isolation and humiliation just to touch the hem of his garment. What this text makes clear in regard to trusting radically is that radical trust isn't necessarily determined by circumstances, but by what you're expecting God to do in the midst of those circumstances and how that expectation influences your actions. Our ability to trust God with people and circumstances always rests upon what we believe to be true about God, and that inspires or discourages, if your belief is negative, what we're willing to do in pursuit of him and his will. If Jarius and the hemorrhaging woman had allowed the toughness of their circumstance or the doubts they must have had determine their view of God, both of their stories would have ended very differently. So based off of the story of Jarius and the hemorrhaging woman, I believe that there are five hindrances that get in the way of us trusting God radically. There are probably more than five, but I just made these five up, really. Um, so you just have to trust me with that. We're going to go through them one by one. And so these hindrances are pretentiousness, shame, fear, disengagement, and faithlessness. And so the first one, pretentiousness. You know, sometimes we think we're far better off than what we really are. We put on air. We get so caught up in our religiosity and saving face and with the privilege and power that some of our positions carry that we get prideful. And pretentiousness fans the flame of pride, keeping us self-reliant. And when you're self-reliant and self-important, it makes it hard to approach God. But just as Jarius did, we are to approach God with a sincere heart, a heart without polish or veneer, without wax, as Dave talked about. But one that is ready to relate authentically with our Savior. Putting on airs and pretending that we have it all together or that we are better than someone else will not help us build our trust in God. But we must approach him holding nothing back laying it all out there with all sincerity, acknowledging and making our needs known to him, trusting that he will respond. When, when we see Jairus choose to remain with Jesus instead of choosing his own way, acknowledging that Jesus was the best option even when he was forced to wait, and oftentimes we all know that when we're waiting, that could be the hardest place to trust God in the unknown. While the hemorrhaging woman was addressed first, 
Jarius was put on hold. Sometimes the hardest place to trust God is in the waiting, but it's in the waiting that we're asked to be steadfast, clinging to Jesus with everything that we have. When we let pretentiousness and pride fill our hearts, we become convinced that we know what's best and begin to act independently of God. So don't let pretentiousness and pride put to death your trust in God. Move forward with him, trusting that he has a plan, even if it's unclear to you. The second one, shame. Many of you have probably heard of the um, author and speaker, Renee Brown. You've heard of her? She's written several books, and she studied shame extensively. And she says this, shame erodes our courage and fuels our disengagement. And I couldn't agree more. The hemorrhaging woman, because of the issue that she was having with bleeding, was believed to be ceremonially unclean. And what this meant for her was complete isolation. She wasn't allowed to enter the section of the temple that was reserved for women. And anytime she went out into public, she had to make it known that she was unclean. It would have went something like this. My name is Ashley. I'm unclean. Can you imagine that? This woman must have known shame and loneliness well, and some of you can relate to that. But somehow through her desperation and desire for something better, she decided to trust again. She decided not to let the past experiences of going to physician after physician and only getting worse make her jaded. But instead, she risked shame and chose courage and relationship. One of the many things we learn from the hemorrhaging woman is that if we allow the shame of our past and present to shape us, we'll never be able to trust Jesus with our future. And we must trust him with our future. The next one is fear. You know, I've struggled with multiple fears my whole entire life. Um, One of them is a fear of public speaking. And unfortunately, you laugh, but it is true. It is very true. Unfortunately, at times, I've let my fears get the best of me and take me out of ministry. I've asked God, please, please, please take the fear away. And most of the time, he doesn't. And the hard truth is, is that God's will for our lives is not designed around our feelings of safety and comfort or whether we feel afraid or not afraid. When God calls us out, we must go knowing that he, the one who calls, is faithful and it is him who will empower us to complete the work that he's called us to do through the Holy Spirit. The things we fear have no doubt become great hindrances to us and our attempts to trust God with all things. I'm not saying that fear isn't real because I know fear is very real and it is a very valid feeling. And trusting God can be scary. It can put us in situations that make us feel unsafe. And if any of you have a relationship with any of our people who have done missions locally and globally, you can ask them. I bet they felt unsafe several times. So I don't want to discount your fear. 
However, I want to remind you that Jesus has delivered us from the propensity that we once had to be slaves to fear through the power of the Holy Spirit and the assurance of his character. We as church folk, we love to quote Joshua 1.9. It's like one of those bumper sticker passages that we like to tote around or that we have written on a t-shirt. And it says this, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Jesus is saying the same thing to us. Has he not commanded you? Has he not commanded us to be strong and courageous? I think God said this to Joshua as a reminder. As a reminder to him that we don't have to be afraid or selective with our trust in him because he's already promised deliverance. He's already given eternal salvation. The God of the universe has already promised to save us and has and will and does. We have victory over fear. Here's the point. Radical trust requires us to acknowledge our fears and continue moving forward. Continue moving forward. Next up is disengagement. And last week, although I wasn't here, I know Dave preached about engaging inclusively. And in order for us to engage inclusively, we must trust God exclusively. Radically acknowledging some of the ways that we've been intentionally disengaged from some, pe- some of the people that God has called us to be in relationship with. Can you imagine if Jesus treated the hemorrhaging woman according to the way that others were treating her? According to the way that tradition permitted her to be treated? American Christians have had a long history with the practice of disengagement. And it has led to the disenfranchisement and the erosion of relational trust with many of our brothers and sisters. We can learn from Jesus and the way he approached the hemorrhaging woman. He extended power and restored under her grace and dignity. This kind of engagement freed her to be able to trust again. When we lay down our prejudices and the nonsensical rules that we've created, we can lead by the example that Jesus gives us, restoring and rebuilding trust with people in our communities who have lost trust in us. We can be the church. Radical trust requires us to fully engage in relationships with people around us who may believe, think, or look differently than us. And lastly, faithlessness. As I mentioned earlier, I just got back from Rwanda, and while we were there, we had the opportunity to experience what a typical day would look like for some of the women in one of the local villages. And at one point during the day, we were out digging in preparation for planting seeds when the women started to sing, and this was normal, you know, The song that they sang spoke of the importance of cultivation. It served as their motivation while they were digging to keep going, to keep planting, to keep moving. The song's message was this, in cultivating, you need to be a good farmer. 
Otherwise, you won't make it. It dawned on me when I heard this that we are just like good farmers. We have to cultivate the land of our hearts so that the seeds of our faith can grow, so that we know beyond a shadow of doubt that he is good and he is faithful. And you might be wondering, well, how do I cultivate the land of my heart? You do it through a relationship with Christ. You do it through three, reading scripture and prayer and spending time with. Because you can't have a relationship with someone whom you don't spend time with. It's very hard to do that. I've tried. It doesn't work. So without proper cultivation of, of our faith, our trust in Jesus can't grow. So to that, I want to encourage you in the cultivation of your faith. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. (laughs) I'm going to go back a slide. Just for you, Judy. There you go. Just for you. Just for you. All right. Then I'm going to go forward again. I know. So when we... When we lay aside these hindrances and trust God with reckless abandon, it reverberates throughout our families and our communities and our world. What effect do you think the healing of the hemorrhaging woman had on the surrounding community? What effect do you think the healing of Jairus' daughter had on his family? What effect do you think you trusting God has effect has on your community and your family? As we walk out our trusting God publicly, the lives of those around us are influenced and impacted by the gospel by both proclamation and demonstration, and both of those are important to our faith. So we talked a lot today about what it looks like for us as individuals to trust radically. But naturally, this has implications for us as a church. How does Cedar Mill trust God radically? Our mission statement is becoming like Jesus and making him known. And I love that statement. Love, love, love it. It speaks to our purpose as a church. However, in order to continue to become like Jesus and make him known in the greater Portland metro area and the world, We must consistently be willing to trade in our fleshly opinions, ideas, beliefs, and misconceptions, asking God to soften our hearts where they need to be softened and change our perspectives where they need to be changed. As we look to 2020, I believe that God is saying to us as a church the same thing he said to the exiles through the prophet Isaiah. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Do you not perceive it, Cedar Mill? The new thing that God is doing. It's time, church, for us as a body to trust God more radically than ever before. Following him into the uncomfortableness of this new season as we continue to love more extravagantly, hope more relentlessly, relate more authentically, and engage more inclusively, allowing God to develop us more fully 
in the attitude of Christ in every circumstance and being empowered by the Holy Spirit to trust Jesus radically in the midst of the uncomfortable. So as I come to a close, I'd like to invite you to take communion. As Jesus followers, we take communion to acknowledge that Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice on the cross to eradicate our sins. I realize that some of us in this room maybe haven't made a decision to trust Jesus with our life yet, and that's okay. And there's some of us that call Jesus Lord and Savior but are finding it really hard this morning to trust God with certain things. Wherever you find yourself, know this, that God loves you and he's asking you to release whatever it is that is weighing you down, that's hindering you from trusting him. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Before you come to the table, take a moment or two or three or however long you need to prepare your heart. Cast your cares and anxiety upon him, for you can trust him wholeheartedly. If you need someone to pray with you, or you would like to make a decision to dedicate your life to Jesus today, we have people down in front and in back that would love to pray with you and for you. So the table is set, and you're welcome to partake.